Thank you very much. Welcome. If you're online again, great to know that you're there behind us. Um, congratulations to all those people who've had their A-level results um, this week, and God bless you in your next steps. It's very exciting hearing some of those great results filtering through. It's all down to Devo's prayers, I know that's been happened. Um, you know, we've been having some discussions behind the scenes around the 7 o'clock service as to whether or not 7 o'clock is absolutely the best time for an evening service. And um, you're here at 7, well, some of you are maybe quarter past 7, I know, but you're, you're here, you made it. But uh, I know that there are a number of people who are part of the, the, the teams that make this service run that think it'd be great to have a little bit more time after the service for a bit of after-hours fellowship, Bible study, visits to the pub, whatever it is, something like that. Anyway, but a bit more chance to do some community building after the service. And um, if you've got busy careers and you've got to start work on Monday morning first thing, Maybe it's, it's sort of, you know, if we're running a little bit late, it drags on. So basically, we'd love to hear your opinion. Now, this is not a formal survey, but Matt Dobson, you, you all know who Matt is. I hope you're a regular here, or um, Nigel, or Joe, or myself. Just give us some feedback. Say, half past six, that could work well for me. Or half past six, gosh, that would be so challenging. Or I don't really care. But, you know, good, bad, or in the middle, we would love to hear from you because... It's your service, your regulars here, and you're really important to us. Okay, well, tonight we're, we're drawing almost to the end. Next week will be the end of our series we'll be going through on the Lord's Prayer. And we've been taking every clause in the Lord's Prayer. I'm just going to turn this off because it's pampering Nigel. Oh, thanks. Did it turn it off? Anyway, good. Good, it just kind of um, distracts me a little bit. Yeah, so we've, we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer, and we've been recognizing that when Jesus taught people to pray, he wasn't just teaching them a model prayer. He was teaching them about spiritual priorities, things that we really need to have as foundations in our lives. And we've got to the phrase, deliver us from evil. And because that is a heavy word... I just want to give a little disclaimer. It's perhaps a little bit of a heavy talk tonight. Um, Ashley's going to be sharing more, more than me, actually, and, and Ashley's got some of her own stories about encountering evil, and it may be that for some of you a, there are some triggers in hearing this talk because you yourself feel that um, evil has had a negative, destructive effect in your life, and it might be that you're afraid of evil, or maybe sometimes it's a little bit hard to acknowledge what evil is. But the line from the Lord's Prayer, uh, sorry if I turned off the wrong thing, by the way, there, but <laughs> keep you on your toes. Um, deliver us from evil. Um, the Greek word, hopneros, could equally be translated, deliver us from the evil one. And for Jesus, there was a lively awareness, not just that there was evil in the world, not just that human beings have evil thoughts and do evil deeds. Not just that there are systemic powers of evil in the world, including the might of Rome and the, the, the powers that, that, that manifest through injustice. But there is a spiritual power of evil that Jesus himself encountered in his temptations in the wilderness and called Satan and a whole host of kind of sub-spiritual powers, which he called demons, which... Jesus was all the time encountering. So for, for, for Jesus, evil isn't just a 
something that people do. It's also a power that is opposed to God. And so for the purpose of this talk, I want to define evil as wickedness, as a malice that opposes God and seeks to harm other people. And um, in, in the New Testament, in, in that, that world where, in that worldview where forces of evil are opposed to God at work, Jesus has a heightened awareness of them. He sees them where human beings miss it. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Not because Peter's Satan, but because out of Peter's mouth comes the very temptation that Jesus has been tempted with, which is to avoid suffering and actually collude with the powers of evil in order to avoid personal suffering. And actually the evil forces in the world have a heightened awareness of Jesus. Often where Jesus is, powers of evil are exposed and speak out and shout out. And, and if you like, the, the, those unclean spirits or demons are exposed by when Jesus comes into town. And I think that um, Jesus and the New Testament writers don't want us to be ignorant of these forces. Because these forces, they are anti-God, they are anti-Christ. And what they want to do is to spoil the image of God in human beings. Because the enemy of God hates the image of God. And he hates it in humans, so he will try and spoil that image in all kinds of ways. To hurt them and to corrupt them. And you see, Jesus encouraged us to ask for forgiveness for sin, but tells us to pray, deliver us from evil. And can you see the difference between sin and evil? I mean, let me put it this way. We, we, we would probably all say that, that we sin quite often. And, and, and the sins that we do are sins of commission, sins of omission, things that we do that actually make life more comfortable for us at the expense of other people, but really it's about our self-interest. You know, I don't want to get into trouble, so I'll tell a lie. I, I, I've, I've got this appetite, so I'll be greedy. Whatever it is, you know, I'll get caught up in a little bit of gossip because I'm kind of, I kind of just, I don't know, there's a bit of negative intimacy going on. Whatever it is, big sins, little sins, they're often about me, and um, they can be careless sometimes, but it's very different from the kind of, behavior where you want to hurt someone, where you want to exploit someone, where you completely lack empathy with that person. And, and that feels a whole ratcheted up issue. You know, for myself, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I really don't like hurting other people, really, not intentionally, not deliberately, not maliciously. But probably we've all encountered evil at some point where we felt behind that behavior there is a malice directed at us, that wants to hurt us, to abuse us, to exploit us. And actually, that, that, there's, there's maybe even a delight in doing that to somebody else. Isn't that disturbing? I can remember when I was about 10 years old, and I loved history books and I read a lot, but when I was 10 years old, I realized that torture still existed in the world today. And I found that so disturbing because I, I couldn't believe that that, that, that that could be a practice from human beings towards another human being. It's a manifestation of evil. And so Jesus recognizes that, yes, we need to deal with our stuff and ask for forgiveness of sins, 
but evil may be too strong for us, that we need to be delivered from it. So I hope you see that difference between sin and evil, at least for the, the purposes of this talk. And of course, Jesus doesn't just teach about or encourage people to pray, deliver us from evil. Jesus actually delivers people from evil, and that was a huge part of his ministry. If you read, for instance, the Gospel of Mark, you can read the Gospel of Mark as a gospel of spiritual warfare. The first kind of supernatural act that Jesus does in Mark is to drive out a demon from someone who's shown up in the synagogue and probably has never, you know, done this kind of shrieking out before, but it, it happens. And um, I'm just going to read to you a little section from Mark chapter 6, and a little, this, Mark chapter 5 rather. Um, and in Mark chapter 5, this is the story of the we sometimes call the gathering demoniac. And I want to say that this is the most extreme example of someone being abused, tormented by evil spirits that we find in the New Testament. This is not normal. This is extreme. The way Jesus deals with it is not normal. It's extreme. Normally, you know, it's a very quick, easy process where Jesus sets people free from powers. Here there's a bit of a tussle. And I'm not going to go into depth about what I think about the territorial element of this. But I think it's an unusual situation. But what it does do is it lifts the lid from certain things around evil. And for most of the time, we're, we're living in, in, in the gray. We're not living in the black and white of ultimate goodness and ultimate evil, if you like. I don't want to be too dualistic about that. But, but we're living in a kind of material world where things are a bit foggy and behavior is a bit gray and people are kind of quite nice but they do some bad things. But the spiritual worldview is that behind these things, there are some bigger forces at work. And evil is not equal to good, but it is unprincipled. And it, it, it's um, a parasitic a corruption of all the good things that God's put into the world. So in this story, um, Jesus goes across a lake. And when he gets there, um, verse 2, um, a man with an evil spirit, or literally an unclean spirit, came from the tombs to meet him. And this man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he'd often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. And, and by the way, I've, I've, I, I believe that for the demonic powers, for the powers of evil, the very presence of God, the light, the fire of God is a torment to them. That's why they want to hide. Um, when Jesus asked him, what's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we're many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And a large herd of pigs, unclean animals, by the way, was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. The evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. And those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demonized. 
and uh, sitting there dressed and in his right mind. They were afraid. Those who'd seen it told the people what had happened to the demonized man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demonized begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him go, but said, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. And the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, that's the 10 cities in that area, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. I'm not going to comment very much about this at all, except to say what Jesus does is to turn a victim into a minister. He restores someone, not just in mind and body, but to his family. And he leaves someone there who is speaking the goodness of Jesus in that territory, which has been such an oppressed territorial place. Jesus leaves a witness there. He's taken a victim of the evil one and has made him a minister of the Most High God. And God loves to do that. That's what deliverance looks like. It means taking someone from the ash heap and lifting them up high. It means taking someone who's oppressed and bound and, and confused and hurting and hurting other people and making them restored to the image of God, which is in humanity. And on that note, I'm going to ask my friend Ash to come and share. And uh, we pray for you, Ash, that God would use your words tonight and your story and uh, who you are. Amen. Well, good evening, everyone. I'm Ash, as Dave said. I'm in a ministry apprentice here. And, um, yeah. I want to ask you, why should we pray, deliver us from evil? I'm going to show you a picture. There's something profoundly wrong with the picture. It claims to be able to show you the face of evil. And you can take it back down. In April of 1996, the Evening Post printed its front cover with the headline, The Faces of Evil. The faces of 16 young black men and boys in rows and boxes, looking like slaves in cages. They had all been jailed for selling crack cocaine on the streets of Easton and St. Paul's. Amongst them is the face of my teenage boyfriend. He was a minor when that photograph was taken. And 16 years later, he died of gunshot wounds. I could speculate with you as to why young people get involved with gangs. Fatherlessness, poverty, inequality. And however true all that would be, it would be a subjective truth and presumptuous of me because I'd be speaking to you right at the border of my understanding. What I have come to learn is that there is a power of evil that seeks to use our vulnerabilities to destroy our communities. It is indiscriminate. It doesn't care if you grew up with one or two parents. It doesn't care what color your skin is and it doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. The Bible describes a serpentine creature, craftier than any other, a tempter. 
It's emblematic of a malevolence that exists independently of human sin. Evil is not a byproduct of our brokenness. And that is not to absolve anybody of responsibility. We know that selling drugs is wrong. And it's no small thing. 1995 to 1998 were the most damaging and dangerous years of my life. When I look back on that time, I can remember a toxic mix of emotion, fear and anger. If you've ever come across a frightened animal that becomes angry, you'll understand what I'm talking about. And for girls that get involved with these gangs, they are often exposed to criminal exploitation. Ordinary girls, girls like me. I have experienced the power of evil at work. When human beings collaborate with evil, it can be too strong for them to overcome alone. Our passage from Mark 5, verses 3 to 5, speak of a man unable to break free from a demonic force. And I'll just read that again. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day amongst the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When Jesus turns up, everything changes. No one else could manage him and everybody was frightened, but Jesus was not afraid. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus goes to the man in the regions of Gersenes, not to bind him, that hadn't worked. Jesus goes to set him free, this snarling chain breaker of a man. We all have chains and some things just overpower us. Jesus is not only setting free the victims of evil, but at times the perpetrator too. This is just one example of what it looks like when humans collude with unclean spiritual forces. But what does it look like when powerful organizations partner with evil? When evil infiltrates governments, infects our police force, or contaminates our media? There's a second photo I want to show you. So in March of 2018, the Post issued a second front page, and this time it was an apology. And they said, almost 22 years ago, the Post published a front page which offended and ostracized a large section of the city's community. Today, the time has come to apologize for the page and to make amends for the harm that it continues to do. The media had used its influence to perpetuate a negative stereotype of black men. We need deliverance from evil. 
My story may be hard for you to imagine, but what are the things that overpower you? Jesus' power is such that he cast the demon from the man. These unclean spirits in this story would rather drown amongst a herd of pigs than be tormented by his presence. In this church, we have something called prayer ministry, and maybe you've had it. We take our example from Jesus. We, power, we minister in his power and authority. And scripture tells us that we can do that. But if we are to minister in this way, we need to be equipped to do so. So if you're somebody who feels called to pray for deliverance, then we have prayer ministry training on the 1st of October, and you can come and have some training for that. And if you've had that training, you're still really welcome to come and have it refreshed. But perhaps that isn't for you but you still feel a desire to combat evil in a more practical way. Getting behind um, projects that have boots on the ground, maybe saving people from modern day slavery. Or maybe your heart is to see our most marginalized women healed and thriving. Whatever form it takes, let's take our cues from Jesus and stand against evil that so readily steals life from the unsuspecting. A moment ago, I asked you why we should pray, deliver us from evil. I have three answers to that. And the first is because it's possible. Because it is possible to be delivered from it. Jesus is calling us to be alert and vigilant to the evil one. And we pray, Father, deliver us from evil because God wants us to partner with him transforming our world when its systems become corrupted. And we pray, Father, deliver us from evil. If perhaps, like me, you have known evil in your life or that of someone you love, God wants to bring us into a place of freedom. I thought that telling you this story this evening, I may become overwhelmed with shame and fear but I've told you because I wanted you to know all that the Lord has done for me. And Dave's gonna come back now. What Ash is, is what I described at the beginning, as someone who's been transformed from a victim to a minister and somebody who is powerful not because well for all kinds of reasons but because God is at work in her and through her and so I, I want to hold Ash up as a, as a visible sign to people who feel my life has been so damaged by evil that I will never amount to anything you know, trauma, hurt, abuse, um, they, they damage people profoundly. They, they spoil the image of God in people. That's what the enemy of our souls wants. He wants us to, to look like pale shadows. He wants to dehumanize us. The good news is Jesus restores men and women 
So they begin to look like his own self. God restores people so they look like his son. And, and that can be true of anybody in this room. No matter where you've been, the possibility of restoration and deliverance is huge. And so as we come into land, it's just a, there are just a very few brief summary points, you know? I mean, it is, in a way, it is bad news that evil is real. But it is good news that deliverance is more real, that it's possible. And, and the Lord's Prayer just puts this out there. Guys, Jesus is telling us, be vigilant, be aware. There are powers, uh, but you can be delivered. There is a God who wants to deliver you from evil. The whole story of the Bible is about God delivering people from evil, of God taking a whole slave nation and making them the people through whom the good news is going to come to the ends of the earth in the end. That's what the Exodus story is all about, isn't it? Taking victims to ministers. Jesus loved to do it. Love it. So here's the first thing. Let's be alert to the reality of evil so that we don't, we're not ignorant, we don't succumb to it, we don't collude with it. And I think that's just a challenge, isn't it? I have to say to myself, it's so easy for me sometimes to partner with evil because I'll be, be, there'll be, be, I'll be either deceived or there's a benefit that I can get. But I, I want to be so aware that I'm, I'm tuned into that stuff. I'm not, you know, it's kind of like you get tuned into somebody who tries to scam you. How many people have kind of, oh, here's something I've been offered. I've had a text, I've had an online thing, and it sounds like it's a good deal. But there's something tells me, oh, that's a scam. We need to be like that around evil, all right? Second thing, let's practice good spiritual hygiene to avoid getting ourselves into trouble. You know, I, I sometimes talk about the fact that um, in the mid Middle Ages, if um, you said to somebody, an ordinary man or woman, there are invisible things that have the power to hurt you, to make you very sick, to get into your body and damage you. They're everywhere. They're in the air. They're in the water. They're in your food. Be careful. They might really freak out and worry. But what you'd be talking about would be germs, bacteria, you know, the stuff actually. And, and good hygiene deals with that kind of stuff. So for us, we're not really freaked out if someone tells us, actually, if you get a cut, you could get infected. We just practice good hygiene. You know, we put antiseptic on it, we, we, we bandage it. And, but if you told that medieval man or woman, you know, there are unclean spirits out there that can affect you, you say, well, we know about that. That's why we've got the priest and the communion and the Bible and the holy water and all that kind of stuff. We know how to deal with those things. A 21st century human being can sometimes be freaked out because we... We, when we hear this kind of talk and we, we think there are personal powers of evil that are against us, well, how do we deal with those? Well, I'll tell you, it's the same as if you deal with any infection. Practice good hygiene. Good spiritual hygiene means let's not open doors. The, you know, the New Testament says, doesn't it? Ephesians, in your anger, do not sin and do not give the devil a foothold. Well, all right, so, right, I'm not going to allow a root of bitterness, as Hebrews put it. Don't let no root of bitterness grow up in your life that will defile many. Let's practice good spiritual hygiene. The Lord's Prayer helps us to do that. It's about following this way of love, mercy, forgiveness, keeping short accounts with God, not going there with our thought or behavioral patterns. Third thing. 
let's be aware that the gift of deliverance ministry is a call on the church. It's as much a call on the church as the ministry of healing. And we're allowed to practice it. But we do need some equipping, as Asher said. And um, so actually, if you feel that um, you're troubled in some way by a, a, a stronghold, if you like, that's just too much for you, get someone to pray for you. I have prayed for hundreds of people and seen some extraordinary changes and breakthroughs in people's lives. And Claire, Nigel, many of us on this team, that's part of our, our practice, you know, Tim. You know, we, we, do, we, we do that and that's fine. And again, we, we, we don't kind of throw our brains away. Often deliverance and discipleship are intrinsically linked with one another. Um, we don't want to see demons under every bush, but we just don't want to be ignorant of the fact that, that one of the ingredients in the things that mess us up are spiritual powers. And we do our bit, we do our bits of repentance and trying to walk the walk, but if things are just a bit too hard for us, we're caught in addictive cycles of behavior or mindsets that are too powerful, or we're believing in lies about ourselves or others, let's get some prayer from others. And, and let's ourselves become people who can practice deliverance. To be sent out as those early disciples were. It's one of the first things. They were early, early doors. Jesus said, you know, go out, heal the sick, drive out demons. And he said, when they came back, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. There's something about what you did that destabilized that spiritual power that's oppressing people. Let's go out and do that. Let's go and do that wherever we are, if we can. Pray for people. Bring the good news into people's lives. And I love the fact that um, Jesus actually went after the very darkest. As I said, not just the victims, but the perpetrators, because the perpetrators themselves may be victims. And it's wonderful where you see someone who was an abuser, not just a victim, but someone who was an abuser, have their lives turned around. Now, we, we, we often sing Amazing Grace. John Newton was an abuser. The author of that song, he was a slave trader. And that's a profound systemic evil, isn't it? But God reached into his life and changed it. And there are plenty of people like that today who are around. So that's where we're going to come into land uh, tonight. But um, I suppose we, we want to give a chance, as ever at Woody's, to pray. What is it? that's spoiling the image of God in you tonight? Do you know what it is? Is it fear that makes you resistant from doing what's right? Is it a mindset that is trapping you in anxious, dark, self-hating thoughts? Is it... Um, a behavior that you are no longer fully in control of. You can't resist it. You do the things you don't want to do. You don't do the things you do want to do. God needs to empower your will and strengthen you. But you may need some help from those powers that are a little bit too strong for you. To. And so as we go back into worship, I'm going to ask, I'll pray before we do that. But we will, we, we're going to offer to pray for people tonight. It's not like, all right, this is a big, heavy counselling session. But it's a start that may be a start of a journey for you tonight. Sometimes with Jesus, it was with a word, things left. Sometimes there was a bit of a tussle, like there was with 
the Gadarene demoniac where there's something fairly big going on. But, um, all right. But we'll make a start tonight. So do you mind if I pray?